Welcome to this service from St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. I'm Stuart and it's my privilege to be the minister here. This week we remember on this Sunday closest to Armistice Day when the great guns of the Great War fell silent and we'll explore what it means to remember and why it's so important for all of us, not just to honour the past but to shape the future. Today I'm joined in leading worship by May Fairley. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. There are many moments that shape us. Some unintentionally. Some more than we know. But there are some moments that are made to shape us, that are designed to call to us, that make us stop what we're doing and draw breath because they're so awkward in the texture of the world. And this is one, the moment of remembrance. We can walk away from it. We can hide behind reasoning that says it's too political or too emotional or that it's founded on patriotism and victory. It's not. It's founded on humanity. And if nothing else speaks into the silence, let it be our humanity that still remembers the cost and the worth of the kind of community towards which we live. Where violent conflict does not become an option to resolve any argument or political desire for ambition. But this necessarily simple moment that speaks into and calls us back into our deepest humanity. There are many moments that shape us. May today be one of them. Listen to the silence. For in such silence we begin to see the forms of women and men appearing around us. Faint shifts in the pattern of the air. The hint of vague outlines of those who are missing. It's in the depth of their silence that reminds us of such cost, moves us more deeply for what is profound. More than laying aside our words and our points of view, silencing our political power, creating the space to listen to the other and hearing only silence returned. So listen to the silence, for in such silence we find the truth of our humanity. They shall grow not old as we who are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them.
When you go home, tell them of us and say, for your tomorrow, we gave our today. I was listening to the radio at some point this week when I was driving somewhere and Brian Eno was the guest. And many of you will have no idea who he is, but he's someone I've been interested in since I was a teenager. Brian Eno is a composer, a musician, producer and artist. He was a keyboard player with Roxy Music for a while in the early 70s. He worked closely with the likes of you 2 on The Joshua Tree and Acton Baby, David Bowie on his Berlin trilogy of albums Low, Heroes and Lodger, and Coldplay's Viva La Vida, and loads of others. He's also created a sound that we've all probably heard thousands of times. The startup chimes on a Windows PC, which ironically he admits having written on a Mac, Eno was hosting one of the conversations at COP26, a panel of artists talking about climate change, and I was intrigued. What on earth could this guy, who's produced some of the best albums ever, including one of my favourite pieces called An Ending? You've all probably heard it, and none of you have any idea it was him. What's he doing at a conference on climate change? And what could a bunch of artists possibly add to what seems like a conversation rooted in science and technological and economic solutions? And he reminded us that artists have a very special role in our lives. They help us all to imagine. Through stories and music and pictures, they show us different worlds. They introduce us to people we've never met and places we've never been to. And in their stories and images and sounds, they help us to feel what other people feel and see what they see. They help us to understand other people and ourselves better. But crucially, they help us to imagine and create. They inspire us, horrify us, prompt us and warn us. Artists in many ways fill the role that Old Testament prophets had. They look around at the world and imagine what continuing down this path will lead to. And that's a hugely important task because without it, without that kind of understanding, we find it almost impossible to change. It's because of that impact, the impact of works of art on our minds, our hearts and our souls, that the enduring images of the wars are films, stories and paintings and perhaps most of all, poems. The words of Wilfred Owen, Siegfried Sassoon and John McRae still haunt us over a hundred years later, warning us of the horrors of the trenches and reminding us that forgetting their reality would be to the biggest betrayal of their sacrifice. So we rightly find ourselves here this morning on the Sunday closest to the day that peace broke out from the chaos and carnage. 
remembering. That act of remembering for many of us, but sadly not all of us, is an exercise in imagination. We've never been to war. The closest most of us has been is to watch on television or to listen to stories of family members and friends and to try to put ourselves in their place, to piece together the fragments of the story from the past. The word remember is made up of two parts. Re, which means either again or back to, and member, which means a constituent part, a piece of something. So remember means to put back together, to reconstruct and to recreate. But there's a problem with remembering. It's always an imperfect process. We all know how our memories let us down. I can't remember names very well. I can tell you the name of a song and the artist from the first two seconds of a record, but I forget people's names almost as soon as they've been introduced to me. To remember properly, we need to hear lots of stories. People from all sides with different experiences and perspectives. As we hear those voices, sometimes voices we don't want to hear, we start to see more clearly and all of the parts are put together, not just the bits that we like. But remembering isn't just reminiscing. It's not just an exercise in telling old stories. Remembering is about the future as well as the past. There's a truism, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. That, I think, is about not remembering properly. But what has that got to do with this strange and frightening passage from Mark's Gospel? One of the things we always need to be clear about is that these stories of Jesus were written long after Jesus' death and resurrection. We think that Mark's Gospel was written either just before or during a conflict. The Romans had occupied for years and there was what was known as the Maccabean Uprising in around about 70 AD and initially it worked. The Romans were driven out for a while only for a while. And they came back and their revenge was on a scale nobody could have imagined. Thousands were killed and the temple, the holiest place for Jews, was destroyed. So, when we read this story of Jesus and the disciples talking about that happening, we have to wonder if this is the events of the writer's time influencing the story. Because that's what most all of the Bible is. Even the oldest parts were written down hundreds of years later when people thought the stories would be lost. Their own situations influenced which stories were kept and the ones that were left out. Mark 13 is known as the Little Apocalypse. It sounds like the end of the world. But this is a pretty common type of writing, even in the Bible. For us, it looks like the dystopian novels that we read like The Hunger Games or 1984 or The War of the Worlds or... Asimov's Foundation series. For the people in Jesus' time, it was the stories of Daniel or the prophecies of Ezekiel and his amazing vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. Apocalyptic writing isn't about the despair that the characters find themselves in. It's about the hope that they have that things can be different. War, famine, natural disasters. We see them every night on the news. Climate chaos has become a reality. COP26 is a collective effort at capturing the hope that change is possible and wrestling that from all the things that hold it back. It's been fascinating to hear so much of the change needed termed in economics. We should move from fossil fuels because it's the economically profitable thing to do. 
How did we ever get to a point where profit is a bigger motivator than saving lives? But the sad truth is, it always has been. Mark's apocalyptic vision of chaos and disaster could leave us despondent and scared. When we feel like this, we so often cling to the things that seem solid and familiar and long-lasting. For the disciples, it was the biggest symbol of their faith, the temple. How could that ever possibly change? But we all know that nothing is forever. The things we think are permanent aren't. And apart from anything that might happen to those things, we all change too. So our relationship with the world changes. And that leaves us feeling unsure and vulnerable. And sometimes when we feel like that, we try to make things more secure. We look to remove the threats and the change. But down that road only lies more chaos and conflict. So perhaps we should pay more attention to the last sentence. There at the end, growing out of all that chaos is the small shoot of hope working its way through the rubble. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Anyone who's carried a child and given birth will tell you it's nine months of pure delight. It's amazing how all the pain and anguish is forgotten, at least remembered in a way that removes the worst parts. We joke about morning sickness and sleepless nights and weird cravings. And women tell each other horror stories about their labour. I think that is to help normalise the pain that will be experienced. Because birthing is hard and it's painful. This is our last week with Mark and so it seems appropriate to finish here because in so many ways this is the end of the gospel. What happens next is exactly what this chapter talks about. Exactly what this whole story has been about. The powers of greed and fear and ambition and violence and hate conspire to remove hope from the world. And for a short time they succeed. Mark's crucifixion story is a mockery of the coronation of kings and emperors. There on a cross on a garbage tip, deserted by friends and followers, mocked by fearful and spiteful people, Jesus is crowned. And Mark leaves us at the door of an empty tomb. A new world has been born and we're part of that story. We are the next chapter. We are what happened next. We are in part the creators of the chaos and the shoots of hope. Like the disciples, we need to work out how to be much more of the latter. The kingdom of God that Mark's story of Jesus introduces us to needs us to make that choice to bring it about. It needs us to make it a reality. It needs us to remember properly. And in that task, we discover glimpses of a new way. That's a task that needs us to engage in imagination, to wonder ourselves into a new way of living, to explore other points of view and to value our differences as well as our similarities. Jesus gives us a glimpse of what's possible when we live as God wants us to live. On this day of all days, we should remember. We should recommit ourselves to create brave spaces where truth is spoken and heard and where love is the foundation of all that happens. So we never ever forget. Every place.
Creator, Redeemer and Sustainer, we come before you in awe, searching and seeking, doubting and hoping, trying to follow you, to understand you, to know you. As we gather, hearts and minds turned towards heaven, we pray. We pray for our country 
and all those who call it home, especially those who have been forced to come here through violence, strife, economic hardship or some other reason. Help us, God of unimaginable love, to be a neighbour to all, to see the humanity of our brothers and sisters before we see labels, nationalities, skin colour or creed. May we confront the powers that seek to criminalise what in previous generations was defining of being good neighbours, welcoming the refugee. We pray for our world, which continues to be ravaged by disease, while still struggling with age-old problems of poverty, of war, of isolation and of fear. In particular, we hold all peoples in those holy lands where you, the Prince of Peace, walked and laughed and lived and died and rose again. Help them and all those with the power to do so to seek peace and an end to violence on all sides. We pray for your church all over the world and here at home as it continues to discern its place in this world, as it continues to seek to do your will in this difficult time for this and all churches. Help all those who try, God of all wisdom, to work and to decide the path forward based on the good of your people, the furthering of your mission and the coming of your kingdom. We pray for ourselves, all those gathered here in this building and online, that we may have our hearts and minds turned ever towards heaven, towards our neighbour, and towards you, loving God, our Creator, our Redeemer, and our Sustainer. Hear all our prayers, said and unsaid, as we pray the words Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever. Amen. May our Creator, the God of peace, go with us as we return to the world. May Jesus, the Son of peace, walk with us as we walk in his way. May the Comforter, Guiding Spirit, assist us on the journey of sharing God's love and building God's kingdom here and now. Go in peace, brothers and sisters, and may the blessing of our Lord be with you always. Bank Collection is open every Sunday between 1pm and 2.30pm at St Ninian's Churchyard. Donations are always very gratefully welcomed. Girls Brigade have received authorisation to restart from headquarters and so they will begin on Tuesday the 16th of November. Girls Brigade is open to girls of all ages from P1 to S6 and so please if you know of anyone of that age group then please encourage them to come along and join in. Boys Brigade is for a similar age group for boys between Primary 1 and S6 and again all are welcome on Wednesdays. The Hope Cafe meets on Thursday from 10am until 1pm. Hope Cafe is a wellbeing cafe and so all are welcome. 
Raffle tickets for a beautiful Christmas quilt made by Anne Thompson and Agnes Barr, along with a, a load of other prizes, are available now. The tickets are £2 or £3 for £5 and they're on sale from Agnes and Anne all the way through November. The draw will be made at the end of the month. Articles for the Link magazine were due today, that's the 14th of November. If you have any, if you can get them to us as quickly as possible. We've been waiting to see what activities we could do over Christmas and I think we have pretty much a definitive list now. But the magazine covers January, February and March too. So if you have any activities happening over that period, then please let us know. And the Craft Night resumes, the Guild Craft Night, and that's on every fourth Monday. So that's November the 22nd and that's at 7pm in the Church Hall.